Welcome to the second edition of the of 2023's DevRel Roundtables, brought to you by the one and only, as you see here, hopefully likely on your left screen, Matthew Revel, the head of Hoopy and of developerrelations.com and of these DevRel Roundtables, and the reason why we all get to get together to talk about DevRel topics. Um, I am Matthew's co-host, Rebecca Marshburn, the head of the Uncommon Community at Common Room, which is an intelligent community growth platform that helps you build better developer communities, respond to issues and bugs faster, and really drive and measure that impact of your developer community work on the business itself. Um, but that's enough about me. Matthew, would you like to say hello before I introduce the theme of today's panel? Yeah, for sure. Well, as you said, I'm Matthew Ravel. I work at Hoopy, and thank you to Common Room for sponsoring uh, this episode of DevRel Roundtable. And really, I'm just excited to get stuck in and talk to the people we've got with us as guests today. All right. Well, without further ado, so everyone knows what the theme is as we introduce these expert guests. Today's theme is re-engaging communities after a break. So we thought it would be timely now that it's at the end of January 2023. People came back after the first, second week of January. That first week is always pretty much a blur. And you're starting to be like, how do I do this job? And what was I doing? And what were my key goals? And now that it's a different year, are those goals the same or different? So there's a lot of ways that each person is experiencing that in our in their jobs. And that includes our community members and ourselves within our roles and how we're serving their roles and what their changing goals are perhaps after a break. So that's a holiday break, for example, but there's seasonality in terms of summers, in terms of children. Um, there's all sorts of breaks in all parts of the world. And if you're in the Northern Hemisphere that the, or Southern Hemisphere, that might be a little different. So as we go through seasonality, as different communities experience different breaks, different seasonality, um, how do we engage those communities and how do we meet our community members where they are when they want to be there with what they need at that time? So without any more discussion from me, we'll let our expert guests begin to take it away. Would you like to introduce our first guest, Matthew? I would absolutely love to welcome our first guest, who is Liz Moy. Welcome, Liz. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you both? Very well, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. good. Thank you. Good to have you. Uh, it's so good to be here. When you were just um, talking about how it can be so difficult um, just to get back into the swing of things, I was like, Wow, I feel that because I uh, moved flats and started a new job in January. So I am I am personally in that mode of like, what is going on? What are we doing? Um, so this definitely came at a great time for me. And I'm happy to, you know, be here just to chat with you all and the other guests. So I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Well, so Liz, before we bring on anyone else Let, let's just let's just give a bit of background to you so you you started your career as a software engineer at disney which um to us well to me in the uk sounds very exotic well you're in the uk as well but you know it sounds very exciting um but then you you went over to become an evangelist at twilio so after being an engineer yourself you wanted to help other developers to to build things and i think that's a, a path that a lot of devrel people take um but then recently, as you said, you started a new job, and that's at Evervault, where you're helping developers to build secure solutions. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, a platform that 
allows uh, folks to use an API to encrypt and decrypt data and process data and like a functions environment. So um, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty early days for kind of getting the community going there. So I'm also extremely excited uh, to chat with both of you and the other people uh, on the on the podcast or the episode here, uh, just to like learn some more strategies because I definitely um, have some experience uh, from my days at Disney when I was involved in some of our like women in tech programs and and kind of sort of serving as like internal developer relations there for a bit, um, and then being an evangelist uh, full time at Twilio. Um, definitely got to see some things that I think worked and some things that didn't, and really you know open to trying some new things and just learning what other folks in the community are doing cool and before before we move on uh you did warn us we might see your fluffy tuxedo cat sanderson in the background of, of some calls maybe not today because you've got a, a background but uh we'll we'll keep a lookout so yeah he loves to pop up and say hello so we'll see if he does today our next guest is brian king who's a senior community manager at couchbase focused on building a strong developer community there. Um, I'm not going to give away what Couchbase does because I'd love for Brian to describe it, but before he does, um, Brian started at community in community management at Mozilla back in 2012. Um, and then after that, built communities at both TopTol, Eclipse, and more. We're super excited to have him and his expertise represented here. Hello, Brian. I'm not going to go on too much about Couchbase and what we do. Please check us out at couchbase.com. We are um, one of the leading NoSQL slash cloud database platforms. Um, yes, we're trying to build a strong developer community. Uh, previously, I've worked at organizations. You mentioned Mozilla. I worked at the Eclipse Foundation as well. You know, open source is very much in my DNA. Uh, I worked on the community team at TopTal. Uh, one of the leading talent networks in the world. Uh, we have a strong community there as well. Um, and I also am an ex-software developer. So, you know, before I pivoted to community management, um, uh, I, I worked for a number of companies. So, you know, like, like all DevRel people, I, I like to under, think I understand developers, but I don't think anybody ever really truly does. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks, Brian. Um, let's let's bring on our final guest, um, who is Jules Damji. Uh, Jules, welcome to DevRel Roundtable. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be among esteemed guests, uh, Rebecca, Lise, and, and Brian, to be sharing you know, what we've been passionately doing for <clears throat> over a decade. So, yeah, I'm truly excited to be here. So Jules, you're a lead developer advocate at any scale, but I think before that, um, people would have seen you around the Apache Spark and Apache Hadoop communities, not least of all because you're working at Databricks and Hortonworks. Um, so, you know, you've been around the the big data, data streaming sort of world for some time. And uh, I think you're joining us from, from California today. Is that right? That's right. <clears throat> San Francisco Bay Area. Let's start with a basic foundational question. Are community-wide post-break engagement dips a thing? Do people really kind of trail off after a summer or a new year break? Does does that actually happen in your experience? Uh, do you want me to go first? Sure thing, yeah. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I think there are various ways to look at that. I think it's common when you come from a small break, such as a, such as a holiday break in summer or 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 winter vacation, there tends to be a, a little bit of um, a dip because of the fact that people, you know, are on a holiday or in the summer. Europe takes off, so we hardly have any engagement during those three months. So it's 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 not uncommon to do that. Even after the winter break, um, we do we do tend to see a dip. But I think the more dip that people now worry about is the fact that we have to think about when you have global events, global traumatic events like recession or the pandemic. And pandemic has been an event that has actually completely shifted not only the communities around the world who engage electronically, but also in person, but schools, universities, you know, uh, uh, other church communities or other organizations where people actually get together. So I think I think this is where we actually send the deep and this is where we actually send the behavioral change. So this is where we actually are facing most challenges. How do we actually get the engagement back to to pre-COVID or to pre-recession. And is it really fair? I mean, and I would pose the question to you guys, is that is it really fair to compare the the engagement we had pre-COVID and right now? Should the expectation be different? Should we look at it differently? I think that's 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 where the challenge is actually rely. Because comparing pre and post is a bit comparing apple and oranges. Like, do you compare the people's behavior post-war and pre-war? post-recession and pre-recession, post-COVID and, and pre-COVID? Uh, is it really fair to do that? Are your OKRs and KPIs going to be exactly the same? So I think those are th those are the challenging moments for advocates and for community managers around the world to reevaluate, re-strategize, re-prioritize. What are the things you can actually do to bring some numbers up but not necessarily exactly the same numbers? And that's how I sort of grapple with this. Yeah, I really agree with you there. I, I think one of the things that I'm grappling with right now and trying to figure out is, um, you know, we shifted, especially um, in terms of like events, like I, I did a lot of developer events um, in my previous role. And, and now that I'm starting this new role, I'm looking at kind of what that looks like and, and should we be doing that and how much time should we be spending doing that. And um, I, I got so used to doing developer events virtually and uh, people really liked it because for a period of time, like that was a major form of interaction. Uh, so especially in the early days of uh, the height of the pandemic, people were showing up to events and they were excited and like they wanted to participate. Um, and I think now there's like this shift in trying to figure out like, well, there's people that still really like that virtual style and like want to continue that way. But then there's folks who would prefer to be in person. And how do you kind of bridge that gap? How do you give both groups and, you know, an equally valuable experience or are, do they need to be two separate things? So um, I totally agree with, you know, post 2020, uh, it's really changed the way that we look at a lot of different things. Yes, um, I would agree. Um, th things have changed dramatically in, in community and endeavor all around the world. And, and it certainly is an apples and oranges situation. Um, I think there are other types of uh, events within a community, within a company, within a, et cetera, that you will see lulls. So somewhere I have seen, for example, is, um, you know, after a major campaign where, you know, you're at, you've asked a lot of your community and perhaps there's a bit, little bit of community burnout, right? So a uh, bit of downtime during that time, I would argue, is good. You know, give your community some time to, you know, process, move on to the next thing. I think after major product releases, which is very closely tied to that, you know, 
Um, there's a lot to talk about after a product release, but then you know maybe there isn't much to talk about after that, or isn't much to work on in terms of code. Um, and then I think a question that you should always be asking is: Is your community really interested in what you're doing? Right. So is is are the projects available for them to work on? Is your product even like compelling? So that's. That's something, a continuous conversation you have, you should have internally, and which you should also have with your community, I think. I have a couple of follow-ups. Um, so one is for you, Jules, and then one is for you, Brian, specifically on this topic. Jules, you had hinted that there are certain like OKRs, KPIs, goals, whatever we want to call them, that you have seen that you have changed, um, let's say pre-pandemic and post, right? After such a big like seismic experience uh, for everyone in the world. So I'd love to understand a little bit more about what those specific, like what those goals are for you. And then Brian, you had mentioned that, um, let's say after a really big campaign, maybe your community members are like, man, we're tired. Uh, but also I'm curious if on the other side, uh, is it also a tiredness that comes from us performing the roles, right? As developer advocates, developer relations leaders, community managers, is it our community members that like need to take a break or is it also ourselves like do do how does how we work as the leaders or hosts of those communities also affect the potential dips in those communities um so both maybe meaty questions or not jules i'll pass it back to you and then uh, brian if you have anything to add we'd love to hear it i think those are good questions because we tend to measure you know well the first thing the challenging part about the regulations, you know, going back to the early days, I think that Matthew has, has has spoken that at conferences. How do you actually measure the return on investment? That is always a perennial question, right? It's a long-term lead. It's a long-term investment. It's not like, um, you know, the, the regulations is not about closing deals, about opening minds. And so how do you actually tell your stakeholders to, to, to measure that? And we just have to manage expectations because I do remember when I was working works and I was at Databricks for about six years. And whenever I would have a meetup or I would have a workshop or I would have some sort of an in-person event, I wouldn't even have to worry about. I mean, you know, 200 people would show up or 50 people would show up at an in-house or I would have a race, a uh, spark Saturday and I would have, you know, 150 show up. I didn't actually have to worry about it. Now, you know, the, 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 the post thing is that should I expect, you know, 200 people, and should I tell to my uh, to my uh, stakeholders that we're having this particular event, I guarantee that you're going to have 200 people uh, who are going to sign up of those, you know, 50 people who show up, they will have 100 people come in. Uh, my NPS score is going to be, you know, 60 or 70 above. Um, how do we actually mitigate or how do we lower the presentation, uh, the, the, the priorities? And I think that's where it is. So in terms of my KPIs now, if I'm going to have an event, I'm going to be, uh, I'll manage the expression by saying I'm not going to have, you know, a house full of people because I think people are still reluctant to come in house. They might do virtually and, and the times are kind of different. So I think managing those KPIs and managing those expectations is an important bit about it. Because once you actually try to attain or try to reach those um, KPIs and, 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 and OCAD they actually want, pre-pandemic, uh, you're going to, you know, uh, you're going to be disappointed and your stakeholders are going to be disappointed. So on managing your expectations and making sure that you're gonna, you, 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 you lower the expectations, but expect that over a period of time, 
by doing different strategies. And I think, you know, the part of the conversation we're having today is what are some of the things you can actually do to somehow start bringing up to a certain level, but you're probably not going to attain the same level because people's behavior change, right? This has sort of become like a social science problem. How do you change people's attitude who are now entrenched in the sofa, having a pint and then looking at the meetup and if the topic is boring, they're going to, you know, they're going to leave. Or, or if they're at the in-person meetup, the exit strategy is slightly different. They feel embarrassed walking out in the middle of a talk. But I think you know people's behavior will actually change. So how do you actually shift that? How do we entice them? And there are different ways we can actually try to do that. So managing expectations, making sure that you don't overpromise, and then be disappointed when the turn-up is very low. Yeah, it's probably also an idea of like, um, it, it, like you said, it's not just sheer numbers, right? It's about like, okay, what is the quality of how interested these people are on the are in the product that came and then how do we help build those relationships to make them stronger relationships that help you know amplify product and feature knowledge empower other users maybe become champions in the future but it's like uh i forget who said it i probably a vc you know like would rather have 10 people that love you than 100 people that like you um so then it's also like how do we measure how do we measure that as well yeah, yeah, we call it versus quantity. I think that's a huge thing. All right. Thank you. Thank you for diving in. Uh, Brian, any thoughts on the, is it, is it also our members and also us? And then how do we help navigate those relationships between how we approach our work? Yeah, definitely. Like, if I understand your question correctly, it's like, is, is community burnout um, kind of more a reflection of how we do our work rather than community members, uh, you know, absolutely. Um, there's ways to mitigate against it, uh, of course, you know, how you structure your work, how you structure your projects, how you structure your ask, right? Um, I think, um, you know, kind of stru structuring it, for example, in, in a way, kind of like, let's just call it a buffet where community members can can come in and pick and choose when and what uh, they want to contribute to. Um, uh, so I remember, for example, back when I was working for Mozilla, I don't know if any of you remember, but browser releases used to be like every one or two years, right? And they were major events. Like I remember the last one was Firefox 4, and it was like a huge download campaign and, and lots of activities around that. And that eventually changed to kind of a six-week release model where eventually we wouldn't even talk about releases, right? They would just be automatic updates that appeared in your browser. So there was no release events anymore. So what I think that did, that kind of focused the mind of various different teams, both engineering teams, localization teams, and so on, to find ways to structure their contribution projects to be... Um, yeah, more sustainable uh, and and kind of uh, more on a steady flow over time. So so yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about planning and how you structure. I think Brian talked about a very important thing he actually raised about you know what are some of the I think both Brian and Liz talked about what are some of the things that we should actually worry about that interest people right and um, just to just to t take the conversation slightly differently or or introduce the whole idea behind. All of us are community managers, all our advocates. You know, what are the three engaging pillars of the community that actually makes them successful? One is value, right? Successful, useful communities create value. 
And Brian talked about the value and Rebecca mentioned about the value. And Liz mentioned about that as well. I think the value, and what is the value over here? Values are, by, by, by saying creating value, they create uh, a, a content which other people can actually use. It, it could be blog posts, it could be social tweets that amplify your particular product. Let's say they're, they're talking about Ray in a certain way, they're talking about you know how I how I did something in an SQL way using Couchbase, or how I actually wrote a particular uh, application that uses the Everwolves API. Those are the things that community create as a value. So we actually have to make sure that those value are perpetuated and are amplified and are enhanced. And these are the assets. This could be blogs. So successful, I mean, you know, uh, useful communities create value. So that's one pillar. Value is an important part of it. The second piece is engagement. And I think this is the topic about engagement. Engaged communities kind of foster relationships that go beyond value, right? These are these are relationships where people come to your forum or they come to the community because there's an umbrella of psychological safety. They want to seek help. They want to ask questions without being reprimanded because some some people can be very nasty, you know, when they ask a certain question. So I think they feel that 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 their relationship. And the third one is an important part about the shared vision, right? Um, um, successful communities sort of foster and facilitate a shared vision. Why would you join a community if you don't believe in the vision? Why would you join a political party if you don't embrace the vision? So I think that those are the three important pillars. And if you keep on providing the value, and if you keep on making sure that the communities who actually come there have the ability to engage and learn something, and, and we make sure that the shared vision is articulated and amplified, I think those things are the three important parts of, of any community. And if you focus on those three areas, whether you provide content, whether you provide through engagement, whether you provide through uh, uh, in-house events, if you keep those three ingredients in mind, I think you're going to have a, a, a good overall uh, participation. What do you guys think? It makes sense to me. I mean, I'd love to to pass over to Liz because you mentioned your experience of the, the women in tech group at, at Disney and, and obviously you've over the years of your career, what are the what are the things that you're tracking to measure those peaks and troughs in a in a community's engagement? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say uh, I love surveys personally. <laughs> I think uh, everybody at my last job probably got uh, annoyed with me saying like, we should send a survey for this. But um, that's a really big one that I like to use um, if it's possible, you know, just to survey the community um, to ask kind of like, what are you, what are you up to? When is your busy season? You know, I think that I worked with uh, quite a number of developers that are you know, what I would call like professional developers, like they work for, um, you know, a company. And a lot of times they would be using our product for a specific reason for a project that they were working on. And, you know, a lot of times you would see um, tons of API calls or or just like tons of activity from them um, when they were building out a proof of concept. And then as soon as like that was kind of done, uh, it would drop off. And then maybe if they were going to implement it in production, then it would go back up again. Um, so I think like there's kind of like that side of the house of like actual usage. Um, but then there's also that question of sort of like life events and and just like things going on and activities and um, another really eye-opening experience for me personally was um, I started out my career in the States and then I moved over to the UK about a year and a half ago and uh, I realized that summertime here is a very difficult time to do anything. Um, a lot of folks are away on holiday and enjoying it as they should be and so a lot of times you can kind of just 
assume that that time's going to be, you know, pretty quiet. Um, and actually going into autumn is sometimes a really nice time to engage because people are getting back into the swing of things. They're trying to crank out anything that they need to do before the year comes to an end. Um, so I think, yeah, there's kind of those like two sides of it that I think of with sort of like, why are they using the product and what do they need to be using it for? And like, how does that relate to um, engagement versus like life events and like things that might be going on just for a lot of people in the world? Does anyone have any leading indicators that enable you to, to predict a dip in engagement? Oh, good question. I think... Well, for one thing, definitely, uh, recession is definitely uh, one bit. Layoffs is another one. You know, we we've seen the tech industry actually going through a fair amount of turmoil. So we'll begin to see people dropping out. We'll begin to see less engagement. We'll see less Slack messages. We'll see less tweets. Maybe we'll see more uh, frustrated tweets or maybe uh, reflection of those things. So I think those are you know those are any any um, any events which are actually coming up a shift in a business. Uh, or, or, or economic circumstances are, are, are one indication. I think, um, I think though, yeah, go ahead. sorry, Jules, I think go that's ahead. also an opportunity for many companies and communities, right? Like they say, you know, the best time to start a business is during a recession. I think also the right. best time to really kickstart your community is during a recession as well, right? Because um, I think the temptation for a lot of companies during a, a tech downturn is to say, you know, let's get rid of the DevRel and community teams and let's hire more sales, right? Because we need more money. Right. But right. if you plant the seeds uh, at this time and you build a strong community and you put good content out there, uh, that will really, I think, set you up for future success. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. I mean, it, it, it is any... Any disaster actually creates an opportunity as well. And as Brian, you pointed out, if if you can actually recreate the content and if you can re-engage and, and provide the value, the important thing is that what is it that you can actually provide that brings people back? So if people has been laid off and they want to have some skills to be to be developed, you know, what what what, what would I do to make sure that they would actually use uh, Ray as, as as a platform to be able to write distributed applications? Or what are some of the things that I actually can provide in Couchbase that people actually can do, um, you know, their 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 applications? So I think these are the things. What is what is the value that I actually actually provide that will enable them and, and give them the agents to go and, and and get another job? I think that's that's the bit that you talked about is a good opportunity for them to to um, reskill themselves. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to ask if if uh, mm. either of the three of you have have created content like that, right? Like, uh, does that mean that you shift from how to use this to do your role into um mentorship types of events or into networking types of events or have you um, as i see you nodding i'm wondering if there's like a particular time that you may have used to that um like shifting okay how do we address mm -hmm. the moment and then what is the right content to engage our community members in the moment they're in i think historically you know before before the uh, the, the pandemic uh meetups was sort of one way because developers like to hang around the world hall called meetups right this is where the oasis of knowledge are and that's where they come in you know with the elephants and dip their their trunk in and and and, and drink, drink the, the, the 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 juice of knowledge um but but the format was the same right two peak speakers would come up you know they would broadcast this thing we would have a good uh, chat we would have beer pizza and then people would actually hang out you know um in the pandemic area it, the, 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 
that wasn't possible. You couldn't actually have the one-to-one interaction. So you had to be sort of more creative in how you actually go about changing the form and format and the modality of how you actually like, create the content, deliver, convey, and engage, right? And so you have to change the format, right? So you just can't have two speakers will come all night. You might want to say, okay, I'm going to have a lightning talk from a community guy, and then I'll have a main speaker to do that. Do that probably, for, you know, um, maybe maybe once a month. Then change the format. We're going to have a live q and I'm going to bring all my commuters for Ray or, or the open source product. And, and you can ask them anything you actually want about a particular release feature. That is completely different, right? Because now it's actually more interactive. Or I would have, let's do, let's do own live coding today, right? Because this changes the format. And then this again um, um, facilitates what Brian was talking about, people who actually want to build their skills after recession and they don't know about how to actually use uh, um, uh, uh, Couchbase, they would actually come and, and start writing uh, or, or, or doing live coding session. So I think changing the form and format is, is one way to make sure that that you actually keep on engaging, and that's that's one way to because you're going to attract different people, right? Uh, you, you're going to have advanced or intermediate developers who are, want to come and listen to what a committer is going to talk about this particular feature in this particular aspect of that, or you actually might a beginner who would say, "How do I actually get started? How do I now?" the how-to things, which is opposed to this is what the feature does, and this is how the use case is going to be. So I think changing the form and modality, asking the community, what is it that you actually want to learn? What is it you actually want to hear? And, and, and making sure that they actually provide the feedback, making sure that they are part and part of this event they are coming to um, is, an, is an important ingredient. And I think that's, that's what sort of keeps the, the momentum going. Liz, I imagine you've run a survey on this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so, um, I mean like most sort of DevRel folks, I'm sure, um, we would always do NPS surveys after each event. And I, I think that I was really lucky because people would often provide very good specific feedback. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. um, so it really gave us a nice sort of set of data points to look at and see like, okay, people have said like, this has come up a number of times, like how can we adjust for this? Mm -hmm. Um, or even like we, we ran like a pretty strong, robust, like webinars program throughout, um, the pandemic. That was kind of a shift from in-person workshops to more, um, you know, virtual webinars. And I think that was also really helpful to hear from the community. Like, yeah, we love that WebRTC one. And then we were like, okay, well, let's like run it again in a few more time zones. Um, or like this one didn't really get that great of attendance. So maybe we don't focus on, you know, SMS that this time or things like that. So I think the point also about, yeah, focusing on what, what do people in the community actually need and want? Um, I think that there's a lot of really amazing um, content right now for folks that are early in career. Um, and so kind of, yeah, finding ways to, to bolster that in addition to still making sure, um, as Jules was saying, that you are kind of giving that um, level to the more intermediate or advanced folks um, in addition. Uh, and then just, yeah, finding ways to get the content out, which is also just like a big DevRel topic, I think generally, like, um, for some reason, when we were chatting about this, I was thinking of a couple of different, um, newsletters that I, uh, am subscribed to. And like one of them, um, the author every week has like a little sort of like problem that you have to solve, like elite code style, kind of like quick, um, one liner that you solve. And I think stuff like that too, is just like, so nice to kind of, um, keep people engaged uh, as programmers. Definitely, yeah. I think coding challenges for developers. Mm -hmm. I think they, 
it's, it's always a good time to put them out uh, to keep folks engaged. And I kind of feel like now would be a great time to really push your, uh, if your community has an academy or educational efforts and certifications to really, really push them out there, you know, and they provide great value to people. I think Liz touched on a very important point, which is time zones, right? We used to actually be very biased about certain time zones, you know, Pacific California. And I think having having these events at different time zones um, gives you a, a larger outreach. And I think that that has become more of a reality now post-COVID because people still feel that they can, you know, attend a particular event virtually in the comforts of their office or in the comforts of their, of their gym or the comforts of their pub. Matthew, no offense, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think that's an important part. So if you when you're planning all these community live events, which is different from you know your Slack and your discourse because that's twenty four seven, you do want to make you want to do want to keep keep the other audience, the global audience, in mind, and especially in the open source community. And I think I think Brian would attest to that. Is is you got global contributors and you got global community all around the place, right? And so they, they, you want to be able to reach them as and make them part of the, uh, the, the, the conversation as much as possible. Well, it sounds like we do think dips are a real thing and they might be based on all sorts of things, seasonality, holidays, world impacting events um, or national impacting events, depending on what that event is. Um, and it does sound like we feel like that maybe there are some some indicators that you could say, okay, I have, I imagine I can see that there might be a dip in my community, but we might be able to change modality or medium or content style to adjust so that the community still engages, but might be engaging with different types of content, depending on where they're at and what they need at that time. Um, and so then we also talked a little bit about setting ex the right expectations with your stakeholders, right? So that that there's still a, a deep bridge of communication being built between what's happening in the community and how that might impact the business, you know, next month, six months from now, next year, uh, because those two things still need to be tied together, right? In terms of what we're doing in our in our business job roles. Um, so Brian, I'd love to, to hear from you, or maybe you kick us off. If there's any particular way that you found a lot of success in communicating with um, cross-functional stakeholders about like, hey, here's where we're at, here's what we're going to see in the community and here's what we can expect for your team, right? Or here's what I'm going to do in terms of being a community manager and how that might look to what we're doing in marketing, what it might look to what we're doing in sales, certainly what it would look to what we're doing in product and in, in engineering. Uh, yeah, you know, I think I've, I've kind of been fortunate enough to be in, you know, relatively thriving open source communities where, you know, there were very compelling projects and, and there was um, very active community members wanting to work on those projects. Uh, I think in, in my current role at Couchbase, it's, it's certainly different. Um, you know, I think a lot of our community are enterprise developers um, working either in our customers or potential prospects or those just trying out our technologies, right, to see if they're a good fit for them. Um, it's, it's, um, it, you know, you mentioned marketing, I, I think community activities always have to, you know, it, it's a two way street. They have to be tied into GTM activities. So being constantly in touch with product and marketing and saying, Hey, this is where we think community should fit, but we also want to hear from you and when, where, where you think community should fit. Um, 
you know, we can certainly try and predict lulls, you know, we can, we can look at various tools, um, you know, if we're seeing a drop off, for example, in Discord engagement, um, that might mean something, you know, all, all tools out there, you know, Jules mentioned Meetup, there's, you know, this forum post, there's a lot of indicators you could, you can look at. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just about, obviously about communication and just setting expectations and just say, look, um, we don't really see um, a set of active contributors for this particular activity right now. So just factor that into your plans, right? Um, constant communication. And, and also, as Jules mentioned earlier as well, it, it, it's a long game, right? Um, they might not be seeing any community activity right now, or I think Jules was talking in the context of sales, right? Um, but, but it's a long play. Um, it's about building that community over time and just setting those expectations and say, hey, we're building towards something, uh, even if it's just, even if it's just more people entering entering our community, which will just have that snowball effect to, to kind of lift all boats. Use just use another cliched analogy there, you know, rising tide lift all boats. So, uh, just saying, look, you may not benefit from it now, but you will later. And I think there are different types of community, right? So already today we've discussed open source contributor communities versus um, end user developer communities where people are essentially consuming a service or a product rather than contributing. And then there's new communities where everyone's maybe uh, hasn't established who they are in the community, but they're perhaps a bit more excited. Whereas then you, well, we've all seen the older communities where people are a little bit jaded and not quite as welcoming to outsiders and so on. So I wonder, do any of you see differences in the ebb and flow of engagement from community type to community type? Yeah, I, I, that's a good question because I think that, that, as you say, what happens with the older communities, right? If you look at, for example, the Apache Foundation community, it's a global community. It's got thousands of products underneath. People have been PMCs for the longest time. If you look at the Kubernetes community, it's sort of, you know, one of the biggest ones as well. Um, you do have you do have people who initially, when they actually started, the fervor, the passion is there, but over a period of time, um, you know, they they sort of the, the, the stars somehow fade away. But I think we have to be careful between how they fade away. Are they fading away because skepticism, cynicism, or are they fading away because skepticism? Skepticism is healthy in any community. You want to have some people who are skeptic about you know, a particular feature or a particular uh, issue that you're actually raising. Because you, know, you, you want to do ask questions. You do want to challenge people. I think we have to worry about the cynicism bit of it, where, as Matthew pointed out, how do you actually deal with people who are jaded? You know, how do you actually bring them in? I think bring them, bringing them in is is the 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 important bit. Is you want to make sure that the people you identified who are stars of the community and you begin to see them less jaded. How do you actually amplify them so they keep on? contributing, they keep on sharing their wealth of knowledge they've accumulated over the time. I think that's just amplification. You have to just make sure that the people who you think are incredible um, uh, assets who are providing to the community value, you keep them amplified, you keep them uh, recognized, you, 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 you bring them into the community and keep on engaging them. So that way, you know, the skepticism is healthy, but the cynicism is somehow uh, 
fit is, is what you want to counter. And this is the way I actually seeing where people who have been in the community for a long time. So I've seen this before, you know, but what about, what about this? What about that? I think that's, that's an important bit. So, so Liz, your, your work has been more in the end user, the consumer of APIs, for example, communities, as opposed to the, the contributor, let's build some open source project together type of community. Um, what were the, I guess in my own experience, one of the, one of the challenges with that sort of community is that in some ways people have less of a stake in what's going on because they are consumers. So how do you, how do you build the engagement model with people to even out those dips? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, also, uh, yeah, I'm I'm currently like trying to learn as much about the open source community as I can. Uh, so I'm I'm really happy that Brian and Jules are both here because I've gotten a lot from the things that you've shared uh, so far in that area. Um, I think one of the biggest benefits to that long game that people have been talking about is that um, even if someone doesn't use you know the api right now that doesn't mean that they won't in four years or five years um i think that and and one of the things that i say a lot in my role is like i'm really happy that i don't have to be a salesperson because if someone's telling me about what they're building and i don't think that um you know whatever company i might be working for is the best choice then i'll tell them that i don't think it's the best choice um and i'm allowed to do that <laughs> Uh, and the, and part of that is is because I want people to feel like uh, they can trust what we say um, and that we're a credible source and that then down the line, if they do need it or maybe they need something else that we offer, they'll be like, oh, wait, I had that great experience, you know, with X product. Um, I'm going to go back and look at it again. So I think keeping that idea in mind that like even if someone learns about your product at a student hackathon, um, that doesn't mean to say that they won't use it in a job that they get a couple years down the line or at a startup that they might want to start. Um, so I think, yeah, kind of trying to just like think about it from a bigger picture perspective rather than a short term one can be really helpful. You know, user communities are, are can be extremely challenging. And one of the main reasons is, is because software developers can be very fickle in, in that they kind of tend to jump platforms and jump technologies to the new hotness, right? So if you're not providing a compelling experience for them, they're just going to look to the next thing. I think the main way to provide a compelling experience, obviously you need to have a, like a vibrant community, um, but also just have like a rock solid product. Make sure the product, you know, is uh, continues to do what they want it to do and meets their business needs or whatever their application building needs. You know. Yeah, I mean, just just to add on what what Liz and and Brian touched on a very salient point, which is I think there's a difference between the open source community and the user and community because one is you know you you have access to the source. If I can't find a solution in the community, I'll just go and look at the source and I'll figure it out. And and people who are comfortable with that will do that. With what Liz pointed out was, you know, how do I actually use this particular API? And what Brian pointed out, you give them a, a developer experience that that is frictionless, right? Because there's an inverse relation between friction and fusion. If it's gonna if it's gonna take me you know, five hours to figure out how am I going to use this secure API? I mean, uh, the, the Lee's talking about, 
as opposed to I can just go to the documentation and I can search and I can navigate and I can find good examples and I can find good code and I can find you know, not only beginner examples, but intermediate examples and entire use cases. You have this wealth of information available to you that makes the developer experience easier. They'll stick with, you know, I'll just go to Everworld because I know there's a gallery of examples. I know that I, I can ask a question and, and somebody is going to answer me within you know, five minutes or within, you know, within, 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 within 24 hours. I think that's an important bit. And I think Brian pointed out is the, the user experience is important. Once you introduce friction, you're going to lose. People as developers, you know, they want to solve the problem right away. And if it's going to take me five hours or five minutes, I'm going to jump to the next product. And I think that's an important bit about it. Yeah, I think you all are hitting the trifecta, right? Like Brian, you said a rock solid product. Jules, you're basically saying like, rock solid documentation or ways for me to help understand what I need to be doing. And then Liz, uh, the joke I was going to make, but then I totally cut Brian off was that uh, you're talking about rock solid trust, right? And a rock solid community host or developer advocate. Um, and I was going to say, you're like the perfect stylist where, you know, you put, you, you wear this API and you're like, how's it look? And you're like, not, this is not, that's not flattering for you, you know? Uh, and so it's, that's rock solid trust. That's the stylus you go back to because you actually want to know. Um, and so I think it's the developer advocate, right? The product that they're advocating for and then the information and documentation around that product. Um, I, I think you all just described that trifecta of, of, of empowerment for a developer. Um, so curious as far as like moving moving on toward toward future thoughts and uh and, and solutions perhaps and maybe the solution for re-engaging a community is simply giving them time space and um and the opportunity to engage you know but not necessarily saying like you must engage but i am curious if there are any experiments that any of you have run um during a dip in community where you're like wow we did not realize that people were super excited to come to come back around that theme. So if there's any experiments you might've run that you actually saw were quite successful during a normally slow time, um, or any ideas that those experiments successful or quote unquote failed have led into other things that people might be able to use for re-engagement. I think it's, it's, it's a whole, it's, it's a whole uh, question about how do we actually persuade people uh, without without forcing them to do a thing, and I think this is appealing to the agency. Right? It's very important for them that 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 community members or developers actually have have full control of the agency. And so you try to do a couple of things. You try to highlight certain gaps uh, in their particular knowledge to say, "Hey, listen, you know, we are doing this particular." Um, workshop, or we are having this particular, uh, we, are, we, are, we are posting this particular blog, and there's going to be a series of blogs. These are the things that we think people can actually learn from it. What do you think, right? Would you be interested in that? So I think giving them the agency and identifying the gap, because once you once you tell them, what do you actually think about product A? Is that satisfies your your knowledge? Is there a gap between how you used to do things and what you can actually do with this new thing? Uh, that sort of clicks in the interest and um, you know gives them the agency to say, I'm going to engage. Uh, the second thing is, I think posing questions like this, you know, I'm doing this, what do you think? Will this actually help you? That again, um, uh, appeals to the agency. I think doing these kinds of experiments and changing the form and format, I think Liz, Liz uh, uh, alluded earlier, which is about, you know, doing a, a constant poll or doing a Q&A or doing uh, uh, office hours, for example, or doing 
hands-on coding sessions, all these different forms of experiments. I think, at least in my case, that was kind of helped a little bit. There hasn't been, you know, that that inflection point. We begin to see more and more people are sort of being uh, uh, willing to actually come in and do that. And the second thing, how do you actually now do the hybrid thing? Because this requires a little bit of logistics, right? So you want to have an event, let's say in San Francisco, and you want to do it at a happy hour. Is it feasible to do a happy hour with with a hybrid, right? What are people going to be drinking virtually? I think that's 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 another bit. So I think these these are different changes in these experiments that I'm sort of playing around with, and have ideas what I'm going to implement for for um, the Q1, uh, H1, and see you know see how it goes. Some things that have worked for me in the past are um, in-person meetings for your community. Um, I know that's. That's that's tricky at this time, um, and it also depends on the nature of your community and the size of your community. Like if it's a large community, you can't invite thousands of people to get together, right? But maybe, for example, you have an ambassador program. Maybe it's a good time to get all the ambassadors together. That's a smaller group, right? And say, hey, let's plan. Let's plan for the next year. Let's see what we can do. Um, never underestimate the, the the strength of like a new edition T-shirt. So, you know, during, during a downtime, get your design team on it and say, hey, let's get this out to our, you know, our, our, our most active contributors. And, you know, you'll see the photos up on social media and so on. Um, it's, good. It's, it's always a good time to reward and recognize and, and call out uh, your community. But, you know, when you have more time to do it, perhaps that's, so that's a very good time. I, I so in my last role, and and honestly, I think I see this a lot more in like sort of the Airtables and Zapiers and like these these sort of like really great new low code tools that exist, um, where it's really allowing people to like build these experiences essentially with like little to no code. I was realizing that there were a lot of those that I saw people using in conjunction um, with our product, and I also had heard just like these random stories kind of, of like either, like I heard the story of an artist who basically hired like a whole team to build an entire project that used some of our APIs, um, which was a really cool project. Um, and, and other just like little stories of like people that wouldn't have what I would say is like a traditionally like tech background, but like did want to use um, like our APIs to build something. So uh, when we kind of had like a little bit of a lull, uh, I proposed that we try doing a, a hackathon for artists um, and kind of like give them some enablement tools of how they could get started, like building some sort of something that they, they wanted to create. And it, it actually was so great. We partnered with um, a organization called Kodame that's based in the Bay Area. Um, so a lot of artists from their community participated and then some artists that just like we kind of knew or people knew through our networks. Um, and yeah, the projects that came out of it were really interesting. And it was just so dramatically different from like a lot of the other things that we would see people um, using the product to build. So I was very happy and excited about that possibility because I think it opened up my eyes to the fact that there were like a lot of other communities that I typically wouldn't think of, you know, serving, but that were still there and, and excited to, to play and to build. Perhaps an underlying theme that each of you are touching on um, that I had no words to articulate until the three of you just answered, so thank you, is almost this idea of, I mean, we're always serving our communities and building for them, even if we're not present externally or they're not quote unquote present at the time. 
right? What we're still doing then is when we are perhaps quieter or more internal, we are building the things that will serve them externally, like when they're ready. And so I think both of you touched on that, right? Can you find new partnerships that make sense? Are there other communities you should be engaging with that you as a developer advocate or developer manager or a community success manager, right? can start to build those relationships with in the downtime because you also actually have time to dig in. And like Brian, I think you said, right? Like um, get those designs ready. And that's like one example of, there are so many things where we end up using the same swag, for example, right? Because we made that design once and we haven't had time to go back and work with our internal design teams or order the things that we needed or change anything really. And so I think that those quiet moments are so important for us to then go build those relationships, either with our internal stakeholder teams or with ourselves to refine what we need in terms of how to set ourselves up for success for serving the community or building those other partnerships or finding those like new ways to give ourselves the time to connect with community members when they're back and when they're ready to engage. Um, with that said, I want to thank you for that. It's it's less it's not always about how do we make sure people are engaging, but how do we prepare to allow them to engage best? Um, so maybe the internal or some of those quiet lulls are actually just really great for like hibernation mode of like you know self reflection and and then building to 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 build forward. Um, so thank you for those insights and. Matthew, uh, I believe that you have a, a little outro for us and some some questions for how we can connect with everyone here on the show. Yeah, well, one thing that's come up for me in, in this episode has been a call back to DevRel Book Club, where we covered a book called Laziness Does Not Exist. And one of the central themes of that book was that we as human beings need to make downtime you know, we're allowed to have downtime. If we don't have it, then bad things happen. And I think it's the same for, for, for communities. And yeah, so it's really, really great to have that kind of echoed here. I, I guess the downtime can be, can benefit itself in asking less. Or giving the community time to breathe as much as you need the time to breathe as well. Yeah. Yeah. So asking yeah. less. Yeah. And I was I was wondering, just just not not, not to be tongue in cheek here, but uh, Matthew and Rebecca, did you uh, consider asking this question to Chat GPT and see what kind of answers you get? <laughs> Every time I go on, it's too busy, so I'm stuck in the Stone Age, I'm afraid. <laughs> then you wouldn't need us. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> I need you. You just do a screen share of it. That's it. That's right. We can just we can we can just we can just do it live and see see what kind of questions they actually answer. But yeah, that should be that would be fun. I'll I'll try to post some questions. If I get some insightful answers that doesn't match any of us three provided you, then I'll forward those to you. Or you can post them publicly. And uh <laughs> With that in mind, where where can people find you, Jules? Where should they connect with you publicly? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, I think when when Matthew introduced me, I didn't say what I do. I work for a company called Anyscale, who are the original creators of Ray. And those people actually want to wonder what Ray is all about. You know, we are entering what I would call the zeitgeist to AI and machine learning. Right. And Ray is one of the products that actually one of the open source products that came out from Rice Lab. 
uh, in UC Berkeley, which was a successor of AmpLab, where Spark was born and Mesos was born to rice Ray is this distributed system that allows you to scale your AI and workloads. So we are very excited to be part of that. In fact, Chat GPT and GPT three were trained using Ray. So we are definitely uh, uh, sort of in that uh, particular distributed computing horsepower that we actually provide. So yeah, you can connect me uh, on Twitter. Uh, follow me. I'll follow you. I know it sounds dodgy, but we follow each other everywhere in, in this in this in this world. Uh, connect me on LinkedIn. More than uh, happy to ask you any questions about Ray or anything. I actually want to talk about generally. I'm here twenty four seven. Well, give yourself a little downtime, Jules. So maybe like twenty three six. Well, I have a chat for the answer to the question. So, Liz, how about you? Yeah, I actually think I'm going to change my um, my job title to API stylist because I love that so much. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn uh, as API stylist. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks again so much for having me. This was really great. Uh, and I feel like I, I learned a lot from everybody um, in the episode. So uh, I am doing developer advocacy over at Evervault. Um, we have a data encryption platform uh, that will let you uh, encrypt any incoming and wrap on data and also uh, process that data as well. Um, so we're just getting things started over there, but it's a really exciting time. So if you have any questions about encryption or, you know, anything security related, uh, if I can't find the, if I don't know the answer myself, I can find somebody who knows the answer. So, um, you can find me on Twitter at ECMOY, um, and at LinkedIn, uh, under Liz Moy. Great. Thanks. And, and Brian, we've watched in real time as the sunset has come to, to your, your home, uh, through the window. Uh, where, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me oh, online. Sorry. I was going to say you can find me running around the fields outside <laughs> during my town downtime in, in rural Ireland. Um, you can find me at Brian King on Twitter. Um, and, uh, if you want to find out more about the Couchbase community, go to couchbase.com slash community. Um, and the best place to, you know, if you're interested in a modern, fast and flexible database platform, trying it out for your applications, I urge you to join our discourse where you can have real time conversations with our teams. I'll be there. Wonderful. Well, thank you, everyone. I've, I've, oh, sorry, did, I've I, did a... I say, I, I think I said discourse. I meant discord. I'm always mixing up those two. Yes. <laughs> our discord server, excuse me. It's... When I worked at Couchbase, we did have a discourse, so I just thought it was... Um, oh, we still do. That's still no. okay. <laughs> Cool. Well, look, thank you, everyone, so much. This has been a, a great discussion. I really appreciate you joining me and Rebecca, but also to everyone who's who's watched and, uh, and will be watching the video subsequently. So I guess see you around on the internet. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. My favorite API stylist. <laughs> Have a great day.